morning. It is great to have you in God's house. I trust that you've come today saying, God, I want you to speak powerfully into my day. Because I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that God has a message for you. Amen. I want to begin, or I want to continue a series, rather, that we actually started last year. And talking about this subject of Christmas carols, I love the Christmas carols. I love this time of year. I love singing the songs of the season. And can I tell you, I love the ones that are profoundly spiritual in nature. I I love to sing songs like Silent Night. I I love to sing songs like, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. I also, uh, I enjoy jingle bells. I enjoy, oh, the weather outside is frightful. Especially living in Orlando. I just think that has such a, a wonderful connection. Um, in fact, there are a few Christmas songs that I don't appreciate. I don't appreciate Grandma Got Ran Over by Reindeer. That has never had a connection to me. This morning, I want to talk to you about actually a song that we sang this morning that is one of the oldest Christmas hymns. This morning, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. I believe it's important that we understand where we've come from. I think it's important that we understand how our culture has formed. You know, they they say that those who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. And, And in many respects, that's what's happening in our world today. It's what's happening in our culture today. Because very few people know or understand what the prophet Isaiah foretold in Isaiah chapter 7 and what the writer to Matthew affirmed in Matthew chapter 1. When, when, we, are, when, we, are, when we, are, we are told this, and the virgin shall be with child and shall give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God, we thank you for the reality of Emmanuel today. God with us, revealed to us, residing within us, watching over us. We thank you that you are not a God that connects from a distance, but you are a God that desires an intimate, a personal, a deep connection, this issue of relationship. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. There are, there are songs that we sing, Christmas carols that we sing that, that we enjoy, but we don't really understand. Uh, I, here we come a wassailing. I'm not sure what wassailing is, and I'm not sure that it's appropriate to do. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding, right? We wish you a Merry Christmas. Isn't that a wonderful melodic song? We wish you a Merry Christmas. Well, understand the origin of that. The origin of that song, carolers would go and they would go from the impoverished areas of London into the wealthier areas and they were, in essence, vigilante Christmas carolers, right? We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Now bring us some figgy pudding, Now bring us some figgy puddings. Now bring us some figgy pudding and a cup of good cheer. Bring us food and liquor and we won't go until we get some. (laughs) Right? And you wonder why we didn't sing that one here on Sunday morning. That will help you just a little bit. But there are these songs that we sing that we don't really understand and and they're tough to connect with. I will tell you, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is one of those. and, And it's tough to connect with, number one, is because there are, there are lyrics in that song that if you don't understand the origins, they're tough to relate to. It also, it's a song that the melody is not quite as lighthearted as a lot of the other Christmas carolers. In fact, it, it seems somewhat dark, which I will tell you on some level is appropriate when you understand the origins of the song. As I mentioned, it is one of the oldest Christmas carols. It found its, its birth in about 800 A.D., a German monk had a desire to help the masses connect with the story of the Christ child. 800 AD, that was in the middle of what's commonly referred to as the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages run from about the 5th century to the 14th century AD. 
And the dark ages were dark for a number of reasons. They were dark because there wasn't a whole lot of scientific discovery during that time period. There also, there, there wasn't a whole lot of literature that came out of the dark ages. And, and there wasn't a, a whole lot that, 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 that happened that was, that was healthy or, or positive or good. It, it, it's very accurate to describe it as the dark ages. But what even brought about the dark ages? Well, there, there's a lot of discussion about what a brought about the Dark Ages, but let me tell you a little bit about church history, and it's important that you understand this because, friend, Jesus declared that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world, that it's the responsibility of of God followers, it's the responsibility of the church to be influence, right? You are the salt of the earth, okay, and the light of the world, influence and value. Salt spoke of value, Light spoke of influence. And, and, and Jesus declared this, you are what brings value and influence to the world. And how the body of Christ goes, that's how the world goes. So the, the church was growing rapidly, first century, second century, and, and, and seeing some significant things happen. And in, in, in a, 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 a very powerful thing happened at 313, in 313 AD. In 313 AD, the Roman Empire was massive. And it was, it was being led by an emperor by the name of Constantine. And Constantine believed this, that much of his victory was because of the Christians that were connected in the, in, in the, in the, in the Roman army. And, and he recognized the oppression that Christianity faced from all these different pagan religions and all these different issues. And so they had, he had an edict that he gave. It's called the Edict of Milan that was given in 313 AD that in essence legalized Christianity. He said this, he said, we will not allow people to be persecuted because of their Christian faith. In fact, for some of these people that have been wronged, those wrongs need to be righted. And so in 313 AD, Christianity had some legitimacy from the Roman Empire. And then in 380 AD, it was named the the official religion of the Roman Empire. And unfortunately, what started out as a good thing, it became very quickly unhealthy. Because this this connection of, of the church and the Roman political scene it caused corruption to happen very fast. And, and oftentimes, this corruption was it, was, it found its genesis in some, in some pretty healthy things and even some pretty good things. Uh, for example, one of the concerns was all these different um, writings about what Christianity w- was and all these different writings that were purported to be scripture and out of a desire to make sure that people didn't get corrupt writings, and this isn't the only time this, this happened. In, in the 1500s, uh, King, um, King Henry, King James, both they were involved in, in seeing uh, Bibles burn because they didn't want corrupt Bibles out there and they didn't want corrupt scripture out there and in, 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 in the late 300s AD and so they collected all of the scripture and the only person that was allowed to have scripture was the official church. And so in that there were those who had and those who had knowledge and then those who lived in the dark. And to recognize this friend, if you, if you follow the timeline of history, at any time the church goes dark, progress goes dark. Let me say that again. Anytime the church goes dark, progress goes dark, right? If you fast forward to the church becoming re-engaged, the Renaissance period, and you think about the science that we see in the Renaissance period, right? That's where Galileo comes out of the Renaissance period. Art, you've got da Vinci, you've got Michelangelo, and then all those Renaissance artists, uh, those who are uh, exploration. Christopher Columbus was an explorer in the Renaissance period. The Renaissance period, the 15th century to the 17th century AD. And the Renaissance period, meaning new birth, the Renaissance period, it coincided with the rebirth of the church. 
right? Martin Luther tacking his thesis on the wall and saying, listen, that, that this, the reality of who God is and the truth of the scripture is not isolated to a remote few, but it's something that everyone should know about because it's not just a few people that are called to be priests, but when Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple was split in two, the priesthood of all believers began. Anytime the church goes dark, the world goes dark. Why? Because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so in the midst of this dark period, in the midst of the dark ages, this German monk pins this poem. And it's powerful. And it explains to the common person, it explains the story of the Messiah. It responds to prophetic statements in scripture regarding the coming of the Christ child. Specifically, seven different portions in the book of Isaiah that are written about the coming Messiah and the fact that Jesus Christ is that Messiah that the prophet Isaiah told about centuries prior, 700 years earlier. And this monk recognized This isn't a story that should be kept for the elite. It's a story that everyone must know. So he wrote this poem. Some 800 years later, a group of French Franciscan nuns on a mission assignment in Portugal, isn't that impressive? I bet you didn't think you'd hear about French Franciscan nuns on missionary assignment in Portugal when you came to church today. But these French Franciscan nuns on missions assignment in Portugal, they came across this poem that was written by this monk, and they put it to a tune. It was a song that they already knew. It was a song that they would, uh, that, that they would lyrically follow as they, as they walked along. And they began to sing this poem. About 300 years later, an Anglican priest by the name of Neil... John Mason Neal, he, he was actually, he was sickly, and, and so he, he couldn't function in his own church, and so he was sent on a missions assignment to the north coast of Africa. And he heard this song, and he said, this is a song that everyone should be able to connect with. And so he, in about 1851, he translated it from Latin into English. And the song that we know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it took on its current form. It, it's, a, it's a powerful Christmas carol. And it's a message that I believe God wants you to understand. It's a, it's a statement that the world needs to connect with. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And, and captive, ransom Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. It, it speaks of this issue of renewed identity, right? If you look at the, the, the first verse of O come, O come, Emmanuel, it talks about God's people living in exile, God's people living disconnected, God's people living opposite of what he intends for them to be. But the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. This, this, this connection, this genuine and personal connection with a living God. Understand this today, friend. You can have a genuine and personal connection with a living God. God's not watching you from a distance. He is not this big bloodshot eyeball in the sky with lightning bolt in hand waiting for you to do something silly to where he can zap you. But he's a God who stands with arms outstretched and says things like, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Place your burdens upon me because I care for you. And in the Christ child, we have a picture of the compassion of God. We have an understanding of the grace of God. We have a look at the limitless love of God. And the fact that we're able to connect with him and that, and that we have this identity in him.
The Apostle Paul said this, you are therefore no longer strangers or aliens, but instead you're part of the family of God. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And and this issue of identity, here's here's what the enemy of your faith, here's what Satan loves to do. He loves to discourage you, he loves to isolate you so he can defeat you. He wants you to live in lonely exile. But what Jesus offers is he offers you life and that abundant. He offers you a connection with God the Father. He offers you an opportunity to be a part of the family of God. And some of you came here this morning and you feel very alone. You feel very disconnected. And and here's what God wants to speak over you today. Rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. God with us. And you do, you have this opportunity to be connected with very God of very God. He, he is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. The, the second in the original English version, the, the second verse said this, O come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell, thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. It, it, it speaks of this issue. I, I love the fact that it says this. It says, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell, your people save and give them victory. It speaks of this issue of resounding victory. You see, in Jesus Christ, in the baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, you are given a renewed identity, but you're also given a resounding victory over the challenges, over the difficulties, over the hassles, over the hardships of life. Right? The Apostle Paul was right when he said this, that we are, that you are, that I am, that together we are more than conquerors. Sometimes life just stinks. You know, there, seriously, there are, there are days, there are times that I have, I know what you think, oh, pastor, it must be great to live your life because, I mean, really, what do you have to do? All you do is work one day a week, you know, and you, you get to hang out and do all this great stuff. I have to tell you, I, it, it's not uncommon for me to feel like nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I might as well just go eat worms. Life is horrible. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity, Right? And I feel, um, I feel downtrodden and defeated, okay? That same person that cuts you off in traffic, they cut me off in traffic too, okay? That, that same person that gets in front of you in the checkout line and all of a sudden they've got 42 gift cards they wanna buy and they wanna buy each of one of them with a different credit card, I, I face that same person. Okay, we, we, all, we all deal with it. Those same pressures, those same challenges, and it's easy on our own to feel defeated. And, and here's, here's the truth that God wants us to understand. That he is our provider. That he is our comforter. That he is our restorer. Right? For unto us a child is born unto us, A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Oh, wow, I love that. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. You know, we live in a country where they become pretty passionate about this issue of separation of church and state. I believe in the separation of church and state. And I'll tell you why I believe in the separation of church and state. I believe in the separation of church and state because if you want to look at the late 300s, you see what happens when the state starts having its hand in control over the church. But it was never God's design. By the way, it was not the design of our forefathers that the church wouldn't be involved in its community, including every aspect of civic activity. Somehow that has been horribly distorted and it's wreaking havoc on our culture. Because I will tell you this, anytime 
the government gets too involved in the church, which is what is happening with church and state, actually, the dark ages are a result. Anytime you take the church out of the state, dark ages are a result. Again, it's seen, it's woven throughout history. The government is to be on his shoulder. Why? Because Jesus carries everything. He is sovereign. He is subject to nothing. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Kingdoms rise and fall. Rulers come and go. They fade into the annals of history. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he always has been and he always will be victorious. And when Jesus came, right, from the line of David, from the house of of Jesse, O come thou rod of Jesse free. And that's what he does, he sets people free. I love what scripture declares because oftentimes we get confused by this, but scripture says this, it says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. When, When the church got corrupted, right, initially, ideally, Hey, we've got to take, we've got to, we've got to get all these different Bible things. We've got to get these things out of people's hands because there's too many of them that are inaccurate and not right. And we need to control what's being said about Scripture. We need to be, control what's being said about God. And then out of that, putting all that into one person's hand, and it, become, it became, in, in, in that respect, corrupted and distorted. When, when the church got corrupted and distorted... This idea, this understanding of, of who God is and, and, and how we're supposed to connect with him got very confused. We couldn't pray directly to God. We couldn't, we couldn't count on him specifically. We had to go through some sort of emissary. But here's what we see. We see this in, in what's told about Jesus in the, from the prophet Isaiah, what What this, I believe, inspired German monk said, O come thou rod of Jesse, free. And that's the heart of God. God's not interested in, in overburdening you with a bunch of rules and regulations. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Oh, there, there are things that God has for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says this, that we were created to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. But God has created you to do good works, not because he needs you to do stuff, but because he's provided a vehicle, he's provided a path, he has a destiny for you that's designed to bless you. And God wants you to walk in that activity. He wants you to walk in that opportunity, not because he needs to get something from you, but that he desires to bring joy into your life. He desires to bring fulfillment into your life. He desires to see the love of God flow through you to where those around you can experience the same joy that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that you know. And in that, he has made you, friend, understand this. He has made you more than a conqueror. Now, here's where we have problem. Here's where we have conflict. Here's where we have difficulty. Because people will point out the fact that there's a battle, well, that must mean that there's not a God. Really? Well, if we look at the word of God, it explains to us that there is a battle, right? Matthew eleven twelve says this. Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Okay, we are told to put on the full armor of God. Why? To where we can take our stand. To where we can take our stand against what? To where we can take our stand against the enemy, the adversary. There is a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shun. There is a great advocate, Jesus Christ. There is a great adversary, Satan and his demonic legions. But we know this, that in Jesus Christ, we have 
resounding victory. Never forget that. When you're in the midst of the battle, when you're in the midst of the difficulty, when you're facing struggles, when you're facing the mountain, never forget that you're more than a conqueror. O come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So I love this. In the Christ child, we have this renewed identity. We have this resounding victory. Look at the, look at the, here's the next verse it says. It says, O come thou day spring from on high, and cheer us by thy dawning nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. You know, one of the big problems that people have with the church is this. Rules, rules, rules. I don't want to be a Christian because I like to have fun. When did the reality of what a relationship with Jesus Christ is, when was that hijacked and we got this idea that it was no fun? Well, part of that comes from the era of the Puritans. The Puritans had a problem with the Renaissance period. Even though much of the Renaissance period was connected with Christ, the Puritans felt on some level that it was being distorted, and they said, we can't have any of this. In fact, the Puritans said this, no Christmas carols. Don't sing them, can't sing them. And so Christmas carols were taken out of the church. But they lived on in people's homes. They lived on in community plays and and things of that nature. Again, oftentimes what happens is well-meaning church folks take us down some silly, I was going to say stupid, but I know some of you would have a problem with the word stupid, so I didn't want to say stupid. So they would do silly things like, oh no, we can't have that. Right? The joy, the joy The joy of the Lord is your what? Say it again. Come on, church, say it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So I I love the fact that even in 800 AD, this German monk got it, right? And he says this. O come thou dayspring from on nigh, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Well, he said it in Latin, but my Latin's not very good, and you wouldn't understand it. And there's a couple reasons you wouldn't understand it. Number one, you don't understand Latin. Number two, my Latin just isn't not very good. It doesn't exist. But I can make it up, and you'd be impressed, wouldn't you? Yeah, we're not going to do that. Here's what the prophet Isaiah said. He says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. If you're here this morning and you're a skeptic, maybe your skepticism has been fueled by some well-meaning religious people. And and, and make no mistake, most of them mean very well. They're, They're very devout. They really are. But what has happened is their misguided devotion has taken them to a very, there's really not a better term to use. It's taken them to a very dark place. Right? If, if, if you even understand how the rise of Islam, how it, it gained fuel. Do you know where the rise of Islam gained a lot of fuel and, and, and one of the major contributing factors to the decline and the eventual fall of the Roman Empire? It was when Christianity was named the official religion of the Holy Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire, right? So our empire is ordained by God, right? Nations rise and nations fall. And what happened was Christians that were living outside of the Holy Roman Empire began to face incredible persecution. And concerned about these Christians in all these places outside of the Roman Empire, the Christians outside of Rome started facing massive persecution and great Christian centers of faith and culture and understanding began to fall. Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem. And 
And what happened is Christianity became a Western religion. How does this religion that was birthed in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, how does it become a Western religion? It becomes a Western religion because it loses its focus. And instead of focusing on God, we begin to focus on methodology and rules and and regulations. And instead of operating in faith, we begin to operate in, in function and in fear. You know, I see so much of that, unfortunately, in a lot of the church today. I think if we'd be honest, that that's something that's been evident even in this church in its history. That, that instead of focusing on the joy of the Lord, instead of focusing on this issue of personal relationship with God and helping people to connect with God in a genuine way, we get caught up in, in form and, and function. The function has to be right and, and the formality, it, it, it has to be set. And we lose sight of who we're supposed to be. The church that you're in is a great church with rich history. And it was birthed, it was birthed out of a desire to help people connect with a very real God. A tiny little building built on swampy land. And, and from its very inception, this is a church that it's, it's experienced the presence of God and the power of God in some substantial ways. Where you're, where you're sitting, this area, the miracles that it's seen are, are really, they're unprecedented in some ways. The church just exploded as it should. God blessed. People listened. And then we, and then we, in the midst of God's blessing, we, we start to focus on what he's given to us instead of focusing on who he is. And then fear creeps in. What if, what if the church goes a bad direction? What if giving falls? And all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's not about Jesus. It's not about the joy of the Lord. It's about all these other things. And then we have to operate protecting what we have. It's interesting that Jesus said this during his earthly ministry, that the Son of Man, referring to himself, has no place to lay his head. Jesus was never concerned about all of that. He was simply focused on the mission that was in front of him, knowing this. You know, you know why Jesus didn't have to focus on that? Because here's what he understood, and my God shall supply all of your needs. Because Jesus had want of nothing. While he had no place to lay his head, understand this. When Jesus was crucified, those people that were crucifying him didn't consider him to be anything special. He was just another one of these people that they were going to put to death. But when they crucified him, what did they do with his clothes? Did they just toss him aside? No, they, you know, they fought over it. They, they cast lots over his clothes. Why? Because God took care of his son. And you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. What makes you think God won't take care of you? Jesus spoke of this, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 6. He says, consider the lilies of the field. They do not toil or spin, but Solomon in all of his royal splendor does not have the wealth or the beauty of these. Consider the birds of the air. In our eye, they're worth nothing. And yet, God takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? When the German monk penned this Latin poem, he was writing to a people that that had a drawing for God. See, we know that, and the reason why we know that is because God has never stopped, never stopped drawing man. And, and this is evidenced, friend, this is evidenced even today. 
the reports that we hear from our missionaries of what God is doing around the world, do you know that the evangelical church has never been growing, it has never grown faster than what's growing currently? Now, now, I know what you see on the news and I can appreciate with the fact of what you see on the news, but I want you to understand this. I want you to grasp this, that currently the evangelical church around the world is growing at three times the rate of population growth. Islam, by contrast, is only growing at the rate of population growth. Let me, let me give that to you again. Islam is growing at the rate of population growth. Evangelical Christianity is growing at three times the rate of population growth. What's happening in China is amazing. What's happening in the Middle East, stories that we cannot tell you specifically, but missionaries that we've met with that say 35 years they gave less than 500 Bibles away and the last year they've given away over 100,000 Bibles. (laughs) Bibles being printed in countries where if you have a Bible, you'll be put to death. They not only are having Bibles, they're printing them in those countries. See, the reality of who Jesus is, is alive and well. We actually have one of our missionaries here today. Kyle Alford is with us, and Kyle and his family are on their way to Sri Lanka. And know that we're confident of this. We're confident that God's taking you into, what an incredible, um, this island nation, it's a, it's a, it, it, is, uh, it is an island nation, it used to be called Ceylon. Sri Lanka, it's a, it's a nation that has been ravaged with civil war. The number of martyrs that have happened there is massive. And yet in the midst of this, God is doing an amazing work. Why? Because who Jesus is, that will never fail. It will never fail. It will never fail. Why? Here's the reason why. Listen to this. I mentioned the scripture just a, just a few moments ago. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. It, it's what the, our friend, the German monk, writing in Latin in the 800s AD, what he was referring to, he was referring to Isaiah 9, 7 when he says this. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. You know what a key speaks to? Oh, come now, key of David, come. You know what a key speaks to? It speaks to access and authority. Access and authority. When you need access, you you find somebody that has a key. When you're in a, a certain locale, when a person has a key, it means they have authority. I carry two keys. Actually, I guess three keys. This normally is inside of this deal that, that operates my car, uh, but my car is in the shop right now, and so I, I have this key. I never really think of that as a key, though, because it's, it's typically an electronic key. I, I have, this is the key to my house. It's my kingdom. It's mine, not yours. This is the key to the church. You know what I love about this key? With, with just very few exceptions, this key will open up every building in this, uh, every, every, every door in this place, okay? It's, a, it's, an, it's an all access key. If you have this key, it means that you have authority. If you have this key and you don't have authority, I need to talk to you. But this key speaks of authority. And see, Jesus holds the key. Oh, come thou key of David right? In the story of Jesus' death, uh, burial, and resurrection, we're told this, that he takes the keys of the kingdom from Satan, right? And Jesus having that authority, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, right? Isn't that what he said to his disciples? All authority on, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus having that authority, what has he said to us? He has said two things. Number one, he said this, ask anything in my name. So he's he's given us the authority to do business, to live life in his name. He's also said this, go, go and make disciples. Go and be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we operate in identity. 
renewed identity. We operate in victory, resounding victory. In Jesus, in those times of challenge and difficulty, we have this wonderful, reassuring encouragement. Why? Because God allows us to live, to function, to move forward in unwavering, unquestioning authority. It's a reason why I don't have to live my life in fear. Right? God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He's not giving you a spirit of timidity. Be anxious for nothing. I don't have to operate in fear. Because the confidence that I have in God. O come, thou key of David. Thank you, God, for the authority that you give us. I, I, I love the last of the five verses of the, of the original song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It says this, O come, Adonai, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Adonai, Lord of might. You give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. So what happened? On Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the law, right? The Ten Commandments and all that other stuff that kind of goes along with it. Gives Moses the law. All these rules and regulation. In Jesus, what do we have? We have the fulfillment of the law. I, I can't, all those rules and regulations that God gives, I can't keep them. Neither can you. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are an imperfect person, so am I. There, there is no one None of us, no one, no one now, no one in all of the timeline of history that could make themselves perfect. Why? Because we are sinners. You're a sinner. It's okay. Don't feel bad. So am I. And the law was given to demonstrate for us the need for a redeemer. Right? And in Christ Jesus, a righteousness is revealed. I have right standing with God. I can stand before very God, a very God, without worry or fret. Why? Because the blood of Jesus covers my every sin. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separates our sin from us. And so, in the Christ child, in Jesus the Messiah, we have this righteousness. O come, O come, Emmanuel. What does it tell us? Friends, here's what it tells us. It tells us that we have this identity in Christ. It tells us that we have victory through him. It tells us that in times of worry and distress, he is there to encourage us and that we can live our lives as more than conquerors because of the authority that he has deposited within us. And I can live my life confidently here and I can go forward in expectation of what lies beyond because God sees me and God sees you as righteous. That is the story of Christmas. That's the story of Christmas. It's the story of Christmas that was told by a German monk in 800 AD that was put to music by some French Franciscan nuns in Portugal 
In the 1500s, that was translated into English by an Anglican priest serving on the north coast of Africa in 1851 and that you sang today. It's a little bit of a history lesson, isn't it? But I believe this. I believe that it's a history lesson that you absolutely must know and must understand because it is the story of Christmas. And it's a reason why we, we, we rejoice in this season. And it's a reason why if Christmas for you is predominantly about sleigh bells and reindeer, that God wants to give you a different perspective. He wants to give you a different perspective. Because it is undeniably about Jesus. It doesn't matter what culture tries to do. Don't say Merry Christmas, say Happy Holidays. That's okay. Holidays, have a happy, holy day. No matter what you do, you can't pull the reality of who Christ is out of this season in which we celebrate his birth. Santa Claus, you, you can distort the story of a, of a wonderful man who was considered to be a saint that, that demonstrated generosity to those who were struggling. Twist it, put him on a crazy sleigh with flying deer. I don't know about you, I don't want flying deer. I, I, guess, I guess for those of you, Ron, for those of you that love to hunt, I guess it'd make it a little bit more of a sport, huh? Can you imagine that? I mean, that's just, would you use dogs then to, you know? Anyway. God, I thank you. I thank you for the immutable story of your unwavering love. Because that's what Emmanuel is. God with us. Thank you that you loved us so much that in the ultimate act of love, you provided a way for us to be delivered from the consequences of our unhealthy actions. You provided a path for us to be set free. You're not a God that's interested in controlling us. We know this, that much of religion, even some of the ways that Christianity is practiced, that, that it puts you in a very inaccurate light. And God, I thank you today that you have, you have brought us here. For some of us in this journey of faith, we just, we, just re-needed, we just needed this reminder that our identity is in you, that, that victory is our promise, that you encourage us in, in times of difficulty and in, in moments of distress that you've given us this authority to live in. That you've made us righteous. And so for this moment of reminder, for this moment of affirmation, we, we rejoice and we worship and we celebrate you. Some of us here, God, we, we, we came here this morning because we've been trying to figure it out. Some of us, we've got a religious background. It's kind of convoluted and, and corrupted. Some of us, we, we came from a non-religious background and, and all this is, is foreign to us, but we, we know that there's 
something more. And so we've, we've come this morning as, as seekers. I thank you, God, that your word says this about seekers. Those who seek me will find me. I thank you, God, today that in this moment that you're revealing yourself to seekers through this wonderful hybrid of, of history, a Christmas carol, and, and these, these prophetic statements from the book of Isaiah that are just a sampling of, of the over 100 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, things that were told about him hundred, hundreds of years before his arrival that, that, that he fulfilled in his birth and in his life. So I thank you, God, today that you're bringing, you're bringing peace and understanding to the seeker. I pray as well this morning, God, for the skeptic, for the person that is here that if the casual person would ask them, they would say, oh, I'm an atheist or at best an agnostic. I don't believe in it. At the most, I'm, I'm pretty unsure and on some levels disinterested. It's by no accident that you've brought that skeptic here today. Not to put them on blast, not to criticize them. But that's how much you love, oh God. And so I thank you that in this moment that you're revealing that love to them. And I pray for them today that they will come to the same realization that, that not that many years ago that you brought me to. Because I know how my life has been changed as I went from skeptic to seeker to child of God. And that's what you offered each one of us. It's the story of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. God with us, relationship with you. And today you're, you're knocking on the door of hearts all across this room to those that are watching via live stream, those that are watching on Good Life 45, you're knocking on the door of hearts. God, give all across this room to those that are watching through media, give the courage to accept this wonderful story, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this truth that is the Christ child and to connect in relationship with you. God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name.